0: clubhouse attention all passengers the temperature outside is minus 119 degrees celsius we are six years nine months and 26 days from departure for your personal safety be prepared to brace
1: this is paul with pod clubhouse
0: And this is Kat with Shuffle Online.
1: Kat and I are here to discuss the third episode of Snowpiercer. This one is called Access is Power.
0: There definitely was a heavy emphasis on access at the beginning with the the little speech.
1: Yeah, I was wondering about that. Why did the weird doctor give us that speech?
0: Given what this episode was about and what we learned later on, It seems as if he was, you know, kind of unlocked one of the the keys that we, you know, have been kind of unfolding, which is the Kronos and the drug and all that. So I was thinking maybe that's why he was the one that, you know, did the speech at the beginning about access is freedom, people kill for it. And maybe it's also because he's the one that's seen it firsthand through the, you know, the bodies that go through his morgue and the fact that he has to put people into that kind of Kronos sleep or whatever. (laughs) Why do you think he was the one chosen to do that access speech?
1: Man, I don't know. I was thrown off by him giving this speech because he keeps his world very small. You know, he's in charge of the drawers and his stated reason for dealing the suspension drug to the drug dealers was so that he could get other stuff And he says for the comfort of the people in the drawers. Is that the access that he is saying is so important? Because really that seems very limited compared to what the drug is probably affording the other people down the supply chain, which I don't think he has any idea about.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem that the speech correlates with what he said it's for is taking away freedom from people by giving them the suspension drug. They have no access, (laughs) the people that he is putting under. So it seems counterintuitive um, that he would be talking about access.
1: It reminds me of, you know, access is power. It reminds me of Cersei, right? She's power is power. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of my favorite lines ever.
0: (laughs) I will say the way that actor delivered that whole speech, you said it threw you off. And I think I will say that it wasn't my favorite delivery of the speech by him, specifically. It came off a little, um, not cliche, but it came off a little like, very tnt <laughs> I don't know, like, it, <laughs> it, it, it didn't, it didn't come off, I think, the way they intended it to is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, well, maybe it's partially the, the character is very, I, I would say, uh, you know, if, the, if, if introversion and extroversion is a spectrum, he's on that far corner <laughs> of introverted. And so everything about him, the way, especially dealing with people and speaking is going to be, it's going to be a weird delivery, compared to someone that's just a born talker
0: yeah like Melanie and and who's played by Jennifer Connelly who has that very like gravitas voice and yeah you, you yeah, want to yeah. listen to her and she sounds nice <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> this episode I don't think that it moved the who killed Sean Weiss investigation forward too much but it did give us a lot of world building, which in a show like this, man, I, I just find endlessly enthralling when they just start piling on elements for us to know about this world. They can't fit it all in the pilot, so they've got to give it to us as we go. And at a certain point, we know pretty much everything about the world, but we're not at that point yet. So for instance, we had the exposure to the drug trade on the train. Doesn't make me very surprised in that. Why wouldn't there be <laughs> some some kind of drug trade? I mean, people find the dumbest ways to get get high today when we have everything. So I, I don't know why that would stop when we have nothing on the on the train.
0: And especially for the third class passengers and the tailies, you definitely would want to escape from from the world that you're in so i think the fact that there is a drug trade and people are wanting to have that escape just makes so much sense especially in the world of snowpiercer and and where they're at like they're trapped what other way can you get out besides you know going on a getting high
1: <laughs> another thing that we saw was this idea of fight night and how it created a clearer picture of the way that the class structure is even more, it's a, it's a reflection of times long ago where the rich and upper classes were able to um, just sit around and enjoy the lower classes beating the shit out of each other, kind of gladiatorial style, which uh, I think Leighton makes that analogy somewhere in the in the course of the episode but it also reminded me of do you remember when we in in school learning about shakespeare and the the globe the the playhouse yes do you remember how the rich people where did they sit
0: at the top they did exactly <laughs> they
1: they sat in the balcony the floor seats were considered the cheap seats which is the same as what we saw here i mean right now if i go to a concert i think i'm paying you know, $500 if I want to sit on the floor in front of a the yeah. concert.
0: Changed <laughs> a bit from the olden times.
1: Yeah, which kind of signifies that perhaps there's sort of a reversal here uh, in terms of the way that society has decided to function. I mean, Leighton calls it this authoritarian society, but I think it's even further back than that. It It, it seems very retro, let's just say.
0: <laughs> Considering the fact that... It- the emphasis is access, it's so funny that now in modern times, you consider getting closer, you know, like being on the floor, that's more access. Mm-hmm. And that's more that's what people strive to get, you know, those floor seats to all the basketball games and that type of thing. Back in the day it was like, Oh, we want to be away, but we wanna see
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, right. Another thing this episode did was it widened out the pool of people involved with the the Nikki Sean everything because now that we have the drug layer a little more fleshed out it's a little like that moment when walter white figures out that he's not the only drug dealer in town <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's like oh shit there's this terence guy he's somehow involved and uh stuff happening with other characters who leighton has no idea about but they appear to be very involved also um, but we'll get to them in a minute let's start closer to the beginning of the episode. When I saw those wedding bands in the flashback, I pretty much knew we were going to see those wedding bands again, if not today, then in the next (laughs) episode, because they seemed like a a Chekhov's gun kind of situation.
0: We're seeing a little bit more of uh, Zara and Layden's story and just how, I guess, connected they are. Because in the first few, it was very loose and it was a bit, bit of like suspension of disbelief i feel like we really had to kind of just go with what we had which was a, not a lot <laughs> and so this one we're seeing more like with those wedding bands it was like okay they mean a lot to each other and and we also find out her backstory of how she left the the tailey section which we had a question about in in the, those first few episodes and we kind of see how that unfolds which it was it was interesting what did you think about that whole thing of how she kind of gets um the tailey's kind of shun her for that decision of wanting to go to the night car and get out of, of of the tail section.
1: There's a there's a bizarre solidarity that is built amongst them, I guess in the sense that they're all being shunned as a group, regardless of who they were before. So they've built up this mentality that well, it's an us versus them kind of situation. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, you know when you see scabs uh, go to work while others are striking. You see it mostly in movies. I've never seen it first. <laughs> firsthand. But a person who should be striking, who goes to work, is called a scab. And, so, <laughs> and and they have a lot of disdain for that person, especially when they come back to work. They kind of treat that person like shit. Or at least they do in the movies. If any if there are any like union workers out there that are listening to this, I don't know firsthand. I'm just going off of what I've seen in movies. That does answer some questions, though. We didn't know what their relationship was We assumed it was married. Wedding Bands really uh, locks that in for us, that they were married. And uh, she granted them a divorce, I guess, (laughs) on her her own own (laughs) authority there. Let's flip over to Melanie for a second. What did you think of the rah-rah speech that she lifted from Churchill was she being a little arrogant in the idea that she was just assuming that the working class people on the train wouldn't know their history especially the British guy
0: (laughs) yeah I kind of loved that she I guess it's been going on that we know of at this point for maybe seven years maybe it was a little less we don't know where Wilford is it was funny that she's kind of really taken to Forming these speeches, feeling like she has nailed down his, you know, the tone and the voice and everything of like what the speeches would be if he was giving them, supposedly. When the guy calls her out and is like, Oh, that's Winston Churchill, but paraphrased. And she was like, Oh, I'll make sure to let you know that, I mean, let him know that you noticed. And I was just like, You could sense the bitterness and not like, like, damn, I. There's still people who remember that and it's not just me. That's also kind of another, um, I guess, an ode to access, right? Because she thought she's the only one that has access to kind of that knowledge. And then the fact that someone else called her out on it and has that knowledge too kind of took her off guard. It's, it felt like.
1: Do you think that that getting caught like that? Informed her decision to later just piece together audio clips of Mr. Wilford into a coherent speech, sort of like, um, sort of like Carrie Fisher in The Rise of Skywalker.
0: When she got called out, I was thinking, I was like, man, people kind of just take her at her word that, she, you know, that, um, you know, Wilford's still there and that all these decisions are being made by him supposedly without actually seeing him. And there was a lot of little nods to that during this episode. Um, I'm sure you picked up on that, but like, there was a lot of little nuggets that were like, suddenly, subt- just very subtly, like, put in there of, of the fact that, like, she's the only one that does have access to Wilford. And I feel like it's just so crazy to me that nobody has questioned it. And yeah,
1: if you're if you're wondering what she's talking about, in the conversation with Leighton, he says, he basically says, I haven't seen him since we got on the train.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was like one of those little, like you said, um, world building. And that was like, a little nugget and he was like yeah it's biosecure now and wilford only speaks to melanie i was like ding 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 like isn't that a red flag right
1: there (laughs) (laughs) right right exactly i wondered if in how the folgers appear to have been investors in wilford's beforehand i know that they were kind of probably playing it drunk or loose or something at the fight. But if she keeps up this cutting and pasting of audio stuff from what appear to be earnings calls, you know, like quarterly earnings, because he said, you know, this is like a shitty quarter, whatever he said in that message. There's a very fine chance that if not the Folgers, who appear to be the nosiest bunch, the woman anyway, that someone else in that class would have heard that stuff. And if she starts doing that a lot, it's going to ring a bell at, at some point. Do you think
0: this episode also did a a, little, a good job of kind of throwing in that those seeds of unrest uh, in the first class because the Folgers, the lawyer, the lady made a mention to, or to Melanie is like, you know, our fortune built this train. Wilfred is losing control. There's. The resources are going away. Like, she basically nailed what's happening. And then, of course, the fight night is to distract from that. But there's already those first-class passengers, like the Folgers, who are taking notice of the things that are going on. And she's trying to put on, like, a party or whatever to get people to um, not think about that. She's losing control, which is what Miss Folger said. (laughs) So Yeah. Like, the cracks are showing. She's holding on, I think, by a thread right now, especially with the murder going on. So I think she can tell that the grip is slipping from her hands. One thing about the Wilford speech is I loved hearing... It was Sean Bean's voice and... Because I think he's Wilford. It's not a spoiler because I think it's on IMDb that he is going to come up at some point. Yeah. If not this season, but next season, because they've already been confirmed for the two. And so that was really fun to hear him. And I was just like, oh my God, I really want to see him in this, <laughs> as this character. And that was just kind of a, a nice little tidbit that they gave the, the audience to hear his voice. So that was fun.
1: I don't know if this is a rumor, but I had heard that Sean Bean has made it so that... contractually the characters that he plays now until probably the end of his career can't die (laughs) because he has a pretty bad record for getting killed
0: (laughs) that's so funny because the first thing i thought when i heard his voice is like oh man like i i just immediately like went to that game of thrones for season one finale of him getting his head chopped and i was like please don't let this happen again so it is very much like ptsd for his fans and also i'm sure for him (laughs) So I totally yeah. understand that. Like, I I would actually love that, like, if that were true.
1: Just look him up and you'll see, like, a long time ago, he was in Patriot Games, one of the original Jack Ryan movies. I think he was killed in that.
0: I know? love that movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, he was in The Island, a Michael Bay movie with uh, Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson before she was really famous. And I think he was killed in that. He was killed right away in Equilibrium with uh, Christian Bale. He was obviously killed in the Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he and he has these like heartbreaking deaths. Like it's just like you learn to you you as a as a audience you like you you love the characters like especially uh, Ned Stark and then and then in Lord of the Rings and then it's just like it just hurts so much. Like he's not just a throwaway death. Like it hurts.
1: Yeah, he brings a lot to his characters.
0: Yeah, like, even if you know it's coming, I guess, because you can just follow the trend. Like, it still hurts. So
1: <laughs> Just follow the trend. Is Sean Bean playing him? Then he'll die.
0: <laughs> yeah, and even in this Wolfer thing, like, he's not even there, so it feels like he's dead anyway. Like, you know
1: what
0: <laughs> <I mean? laughs> and then you hear Sean Bean's voice and you're like, yeah, sorry, dude, you couldn't even make the, the episode, just your voice made it.
1: All righty, so let's check in with the Brakeman, the blonde lady, the Brakeman Till. we expanded on her character a little bit this time around. I didn't recognize... That her girlfriend, or whatever you call that partner, was the bartender until a few more seconds clicked in. I was like, oh, yeah, she was the bartender from the earlier episode that was talking to Melanie. And that makes it very obvious later, you know, why she chimes in with Melanie. She's obviously Melanie's, like, stooge. She cares for Till, but she'll do her job for for Melanie.
0: I mean, it it feels... A little bit weird that she kind of divulged that information, which it feels like it was on purpose in some ways, but then she, it's like she was stirring the pot, right? And so, was that Melanie wanting her to do that? Like, hey, give her this information and then tell me when you do it, (laughs) or if that was just kind of off base, and then like the moment she calls Melanie to admit, like, hey, they're gonna go um, see Nikki. I wonder if that was kind of her um, feeling, like oh, sh- I, I messed up by divulging this information. I don't know how did it play to you, because it 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 played to me like she might have messed up by telling her that, or but then looking back at it, like throughout the episode, I was like maybe that's like the plan, but it doesn't seem like a very good plan if that was. Oh
1: yeah, Mel- N- Melanie didn't want her talking to Nikki, so she probably did screw up. She'll never you know admit that, <laughs> that, she, that she did. She's playing it kind of on both sides. She does seem to care for till but it's it's not it's not an equal thing i don't think it's even like a contest the best she could do is say the things that she did which amounted to don't mess with melanie you do not want to be on the receiving end of what she can do which makes me very interested in what the bartender has seen her do
0: Yeah, because up to this point, Melanie has been... We've seen her crack a little, you know, under the weight of, like, everything that she is carrying in terms of being Wilford. But we haven't seen her go crazy yet. Like, we've seen a lot of the other characters kind of lose their cool a lot. But we haven't seen Melanie do it. And so the fact that they keep saying, like, they're scared. Like, especially um, her being scared of Melanie and and warning till it... I hope it's worth the wait, you know, when it does happen. Because it's now it's being built up that Melanie will unleash, like, she'll chop off your head, you know? So, <laughs> right. Uh, to bring it back to Sean Bean, but... Um,
1: <laughs> nice connection.
0: I hope her wrath is, is as good as they're building it up to be, because it would suck to, you know, make Melanie seem like this villain, and then she's just, like, a softie, you know?
1: I doubt she's a softie. Uh, let's talk about Terrence, the train drug lord. I liked his character. I know I'm not supposed to like drug lords, but he seems more like a guy that was swept up into circumstances and is just trying to make the best of the situation he finds himself in. And in doing so, he has to be a drug dealer.
0: What do you think of Terrence? Well, I love his line when he's talking to Layden, and he says, you know what I was before this, you know, out in the real world before Snowpiercer and he's he's like why he's like a janitor <laughs> it's like that's what he is now and i feel like that was just enough to tell us a lot about his character the yeah. fact that like he's in the same spot he's just making do and i can't blame him honestly for being a drug dealer cuz he's trying to better his situation so that's the way he's found um be more I guess to bring it back to the episode's title, you know, have more access than what a janitor would have on Snowpiercer. Oh, for sure. So being the drug Lord gives him, like has people coming to him wanting to give him stuff because they want the drugs because they're, you know, addicted. So that's the perfect way to get more power more access. It's like the Scarface thing. Power is, you know, money is power, <laughs> but in this case the drugs are power. I, I liked his character too. I, I was I was curious to see how they were going to bring in more people because it seem a little a little bit one note. And I was like, this seems like it's going to get solved pretty quickly but we have a lot of episodes to go. Mm-hmm. So adding the element of this new character, Terrence, was fun because I was like, okay, there's more to it than just the way it's, it's uh, shaping up from the first two episodes.
1: I loved how he is so connected. He is so with it. That we didn't even need to see a moment where he finds out that Osweiler might be selling him out to Leighton and Roche. The next scene after Osweiler's questioned is that he is being drug forcibly to meet Terrence. I loved that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of that dynamic that we're used to seeing and we know is just what happens when you're a drug dealer.
1: <laughs> He's like the Gus Fring of the, <laughs> of the train. yeah just finishing off with terrence with the meetup between him and Layden, i can't really put a name to it but it's like when i saw them talking and the way that terrence was not really belligerent he shared his dates he didn't try to pull a tough guy routine with him didn't show him like a weapon didn't really have his guards hanging around too close it seemed almost like these two could maybe build an alliance at some point what did you think
0: I guess I've just watched too many HBO shows that I thought the date was laced with Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: an, that's a Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's where that came from, right? The monkey.
0: Yeah, and so I was just like waiting for for Layden to like choke or do something, but I was like, wait, Terrence is eating the dates too from the same bowl, so it couldn't be calculated. Like, that's right. just where my mind goes now is like Poisoned. a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, they were definitely on equal footing. And so. Layden wasn't trying to, like, power play him. Yes, in some ways he is trying to get something from him. But they just fell into kind of a really good groove of, like, they knew each other and knew what they were both trying to get from each other. And that was pretty cool. Like, there didn't have to be this whole power play between them. It was, like, just understood immediately.
1: The equal footing is what I saw, too. It's like, he's a janitor, and it seems like all the workers live in third class, which, from what we can see, yes, they get food. And they have jobs and they're not treated like complete shit, but they are treated like mostly shit, you know? And Layton could look at that and be like, you know, all the things you're telling me, it... Uh, you know, the the rules that existed before we got on the train about drug dealers are bad and this and, you know, drugs are wack, yo, and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff, And I think, in his mind is like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, the rules are obviously way askew here. So let's uh, I'm not going to assume anything bad about you just just because you, you know, run the drug trade here.
0: Yeah. Layden knows what's up, basically, coming from the Taley section and knowing what's going on over there. Like, who is he to judge this drug dealer? And also, I think just given his real world experience of being a detective, he knows the way of the world and he's probably dealt with people like this before. And so that's maybe why it was just like so equal is like he's just knows the way it is like when he when he gets the information and then he's like, oh, but I need something. And he uses that wedding band to get something extra because that's the way people like Terrence work is. Mm-hmm. It's not a trust thing. It's just like he wants something from him. And so he needs to give him something in return. And that's just the way it is. And the fact that Leighton knows that concept is just, I think, probably refreshing to Terrence. He's like, yeah, this guy knows what's up. I'm going to do this and that's it. So, um, yeah, I definitely think they're probably going to form a partnership if this was not the beginning of that partnership.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts out with Leighton shaming him, but I think it ends with, like you said, understanding between the two.
0: Yeah, because I may be mistaken, but we didn't get we didn't get to see what he asked of him yet. So that's going to unfold later, right?
1: If it came up in this episode, it didn't make itself very obvious. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: so I think that's just was like a little tease of like something's being put in play, and we're going to find out later.
1: <laughs> Unless it's that little bit of is it Cronal cro Chrono Cronus something like that? The K drug K. Uh, that he got, that he passed to Josie.
0: Oh, yes. I think that is it at the Yeah, that makes so much sense. So, I mean, I think that's what makes the most sense. Because where would he have got that? We didn't see it anywhere else in the episode. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah, that's probably what it was.
1: Listeners, we're going with the drugs. He got the drugs. Now, the moment when Melanie is with the damage control group and she finds out about Nikki, you know, from the bartender... She says this weird line and, you know, since we're watching screeners, we don't have closed caption, so I don't know exactly what she said, but I thought she said, God, I wish I were welding.
0: Yeah, she did say that. So it was so funny. It was like, I felt like in that moment, she just wanted to be in a position where she doesn't have to take this all on. And we haven't heard her backstory in the sense of, how she got that position. And it feels like it's very unwelcome in some ways. Like she doesn't seem like a very power hungry person, but it's just like kind of what she's been dealt and she's taking it to, you know, obviously the max. Yeah. (laughs) But it seems like it's just an unwelcome power in some ways. I don't know if you get that feeling. And that line that she says, I'd rather be welding, feels like she just, oh, like another issue, another problem I have to deal with. And this is just so much kind of thing. (laughs) Like she was fed up with it a little bit.
1: it did make me wonder though what about the welding caught her eye exactly because everybody there was doing some menial task not menial i mean they're professionals welding is not a menial task but they weren't leaders they weren't controlling anything right and uh the welding it just was she a welder i kind of doubt it but uh there are people that weld for like artistic sake and things like that It made me just wonder if it expanded her character just a little bit, uh, or if you like, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense that she's just yearning for something simpler than being in charge of a thousand and one cars of people asking her questions a thousand and one times a day.
0: Questioning Wilfred's decisions, but that are her decisions. And it feels like she climbs up and then someone just pushes her down by questioning and questioning her those choices. And I'm sure it's just. It, it, it would be a lot for me to handle because you're trying to do the best of them. These people are just like non-appreciative.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding.
0: She's not scot-free based on, you know, the bartender's like, hey, don't cross Uh-oh. Melanie. So I'm giving her a lot of credit right now, but yeah. I feel like it's, I may feel differently later.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're building up her badass reputation. So they better cash in on it at, at some point, you know, like, the whole movie for Silence of the Lambs, they build up Hannibal Lecter, that he's terrible. You don't want to fuck with this guy. And boy, they pay that off <laughs> at some point. I'm not saying she needs to cut anybody's face off, but, you know, she's got to do something.
0: I got to see something. But I wonder how far they'll take it since it is TNT. It's not HBO. So good point. We'll see what villainous depth they can go to. That would still be OK for the, like, you know, that kind of <laughs> uh, network. So it won't be as gritty.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so the moment with the weird doctor. I I don't have his name in my notes. I I just have him noted as weird doctor. Um, I mean, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Are are we to assume that he is doing weird stuff with the people in the drawers? Because I kind of think so.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know if this is also like another just we've kind of been trained weird doctor probably doing some funky stuff trope is very much real and that's where my mind went to is like I don't know if I trust you like I feel like he was being very secretive when they wanted to investigate with Nikki and he was just giving creepy really creepy vibes like this whole episode even more so than the first few I definitely got the vibe that maybe he is doing something I don't know to what level of creepiness but it definitely felt violation
1: <laughs> in yeah, some way. Exactly. I don't know
0: I don't know what kind but there's definitely some violation
1: exactly he has a he has a bizarre focus on the people in the drawers and he's treating them i guess the way uh, i'd want i'd want to be cared for if i were in a drawer in a way where people were looking out for bed sores and crap like that but it seems like he might be going a step further so yeah he's on my my, on my on my watch list for um i wouldn't want to be up late with him and then fall asleep
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did you notice the, the moment where he was kind of admitting the fact that he is the one that was started the skimming, the, the suspension drug to mm-hmm. people? And then he's like, Wil, and the reasons why he was doing that. And he's like, Wilford didn't think of everything. And he turns to Melanie and Layden notices that, like the mention of Wilford and then directly towards Melanie. And I feel like that was another little nugget where... He might not be thinking of that right now in this episode, but I feel like it's just going to kind of have that aha moment where he's going to make that connection, Wilford, Melanie, and then that other little nugget of the fact that Roche hasn't seen Wilford since day one. Right,
1: right. Because I think that question to Roche, I don't think that came from trying to suss out whether or not Wilford was real. I think that was just, you know, like he's been doing, probing for more information than he has. But you're right. I think enough of those little probes and he's finally going to get to, wait a second, uh, some of this is not really adding up. It makes sense that the guy in charge of the train may not have time for this third class brakeman guy because he's just running from like a very executive position somewhere. But if it, if he starts meeting enough people and they start having all the same answer, it's going to ring false with
0: him. It's going to just seem a little too shady is what I'm thinking because we've seen in these few episodes that he's a really good detective. He puts two and two together. So it's only a matter of time by kind of unfolding. He's going to find more of those little nuggets. Like you said, I'm going to enjoy the late in Melanie showdown whenever it does happen.
1: (laughs) Flashing back to that moment in the tale, when they're discussing that they need to conserve, they were imposing that on themselves. No one said that they needed to conserve. They just knew that they needed to, so that they didn't really stand out as a significant drain on the train. Do you suppose that they've been threatened with uncoupling before?
0: I mean, it seems like it, it's definitely a possibility. If you weren't supposed to be there in the first place, I feel like you would always question whether they're going to just let you guys go, you know, at any moment. But it was interesting because it was—they found out because. Somehow, I don't know where in the tail section, but they were able to pinpoint, like, we haven't passed the Sierra Madres. And so that's how they knew, like, we're a day behind. They so had kind of a little, like,
1: they had a hole where they had, like, a periscope.
0: Yeah, and so there's, like, the schedule, and they knew, like, oh, we're not running as efficient as we should be. Mm-hmm. That means there's, like, a power loss and all that. And so that was kind of cool to know, like, they're not just, you know, at the whim of of the first class or, or whatever. They also can tell you know, where they're at and and kind of make that assessment, but just by them conserving on their own, it feels like they sure have been threatened before. I feel like, like, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that if you're Why would you do that, you know, if if you haven't been?
1: It would be one smart assumption, but it does seem like the sort of thing where the way that the guards treat them or Ruth has a lot of disdain for them. One of them knowing that they had no authority to do it, but could have said it to them in a way that got their brain thinking, oh, shit, that'd be very easy for them to just do that. They don't need us that bad. They don't need us at all. They didn't plan for us to be here. So there's no real need for us to be here.
0: That moment, though, when Melanie, you know, says the line when she's under with the repair people and, and she says that, you know, the welding line and the other guy who knows that she's Wilfred, who is in the main train in the first episode. He kind of makes a joke like, oh, we could just get rid of the taily section. Yeah. And then she like hits him and she was like kind of distraught by like the fact that he would even mention that. So that kind of was also suspect because in some ways, I don't know why she does, but she cares about the tailies like they are not as expendable as you would think they would be. And I wonder, that's curious.
1: <laughs> Let's flip over to Fight Night. I don't recall, except for maybe some kind of like, I don't know, post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of thing, ever seeing a fight featuring like a man versus a woman. That was sort of a new <laughs> new thing <laughs> for, for a TV show. Did that stand out to you in any way?
0: Yeah, that was fun. I think um, it just goes to show you that on Snowpiercer, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> like, if you got to fight for your for an upgrade, you'll do whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was pretty cool to see. I mean, it's definitely a sign of the times, right? Twenty twenty and equality. So, I like the fact that a woman can fight a man, and it's it's not a, seen as a such a big deal, or at least in, I don't want it to be seen as such a big deal.
1: <laughs> I know that you you have an interest in Ultimate Fighting in those circles. Does that come up? Is that ever talked about in terms of cross gender fights?
0: Joe Rogan, who's a a comedian and and a very uh, famous known, podcaster, <laughs> yeah, probably the one that started this whole thing. I think they've like talked about it on his podcast of like the the possibility of you know that happening because so, there's a a weight class in the women and and there was like a, a girl like a. A lady fighter called Cyborg, and she was just like beating everybody. No one wanted to fight her. And I think there had been talk, I hope I'm not mistaken, but of like maybe her going to, you know, the men's class. But he, I think, mentioned that it's just not going to happen. Like, it's just, yeah, I'm all for equality, but we are built differently. And I think that men biologically are stronger in some ways. Well, you know? we're, we're and, programmed
1: to be stronger in the arms, which is kind of a big deal in boxing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so, I don't know, because there is, like, the flyweight division in the men, sure. where I feel like a lady, like, cyborg would be able to, like, punish them, <laughs> but... It's it's, it's weird, it's, it's, yeah. It's curious, yeah, it's very curious, because it kind of, it's a very complicated conversation, and, like, I don't know if it would ever happen, but I, there has been a little bit of talk, and I've even thought about it, but I, I don't know, because it's, that's, like, biological, you know, and, and it's not so much, like... Women can feel like they, yeah, I want to, I want to compete against the men, but I don't know if it's smart to do that in some ways, depending on the weight classes and all that kind of stuff.
1: It's just like, there's been a couple of cases in women's professional sports that I can think of, like the golfer Annika Sorenstam, I think her name was.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And Layla Ali, where they basically got to the pinnacle of their sport and they were like, I'm winning all the time it's too easy for me and I can't play the men. So I retire, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it is funny because also Rogan has said, um, that when usually like in the UFC, when there's, um, there's people like that, like that are always just beating, you know, like they they're winning and winning and there's nobody, but he'll always make that joke of like, oh, but there's someone, there's a lady right now trading in Brazil, who's going to come up and then beat that lady. And that comes true so I feel like I I don't know in fighting especially it's just so up and down that I don't know it would make me a little uncomfortable I guess which is funny because I just told you that it was okay for me to watch without any hesitation on screen but then in real life I'm like oh I don't know
1: yeah yeah I would I mean I think it's gonna happen may not be in our lifetimes but that that first guy is gonna be a man, a special character, <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. Uh, I don't know what, what, what his deal is going to be where he's going to sign up to fight a woman professionally, but th- I don't think he's going to be a very normal guy.
0: <laughs> but no, but I will say though, I'm talking about the UFC pro fighters, like the male fighters. Uh-huh. But if I'm talking about like my husband, Victor, yeah, that cyborg can beat the shit out of Victor easily. Or like any male who has not done professional, you know, like is not a trained UFC fighter. Like, sorry, Paul, but I am sure any lady in the UFC could beat your ass. Uh, you know, like. Yeah. So, in that sense, yes, I think that would happen. But if we're talking male athletes who train as UFC fighters, it's a little iffier, you know. <laughs>
1: anyway, this is not a UFC podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you probably can cut all that.
1: <laughs> now I'll leave it in for for texture, so people know know that we're interesting. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So during the fight, a couple of interesting things happen that are all interlinked. Nikki shows up. And that gets the attention of the daughter of the Folgers family, who is nicknamed LJ. I didn't know her name until Melanie called out to her LJ. And so that whole thing where like she notices Nikki, she points her out to everybody else in first class. But then she looks back to her creepy bodyguard guy who kind of reminds me of Juice from uh, Sons of Anarchy a little bit with the shaved head and and the shape of his face and all that. But makes me think that LJ, and especially the bodyguard, given what he does later with Nikki, that's all connected, right? It makes me think LJ maybe where Terrence may be like sort of middle management. Maybe LJ is actually the drug lord of the train.
0: That's interesting because there has been some of those looks in the first few episodes are like LJ has been like a weird character. She's always the one wanting to go to third class and Mm -hmm. wanting to kind of go below her level per se and always convincing her parents like, let's do this, you know, so she can kind of go and be in that environment. And this one definitely showed she is much bigger than we're have been led to believe you know she's not just a a smaller character and it seems like if what you're saying is correct it's like she put out her muscle and be like hey you gotta go take care of this if she's like the head honcho
1: (laughs) if not then she at least is so vulnerable in the whole murder situation that she has to act to protect herself which makes me think that she's involved not just like she gets drugs from them but is somehow involved
0: yeah, she was very weird about the whole Nikki thing. So I think she definitely know either she knows something or she is partly involved as well. Yeah. It was interesting because this whole drug thing, drug K kind of answered some of our questions on how things get passed, you know, between cars. And we were talking about like the tailies and the third class and all that. And it feels like it very much is just uh, people wanting something that they don't have. And that was kind of, in the speech from the crazy, do- from the creepy doctor at the beginning about access, mm-hmm. and it feels like yeah, you may not be first class, but if you got something that is unique, then it doesn't matter where you are in in the kind of you know Snowpiercer level. So that was also interesting because it kind of answered our question on like how things have been moving throughout the the years on Snowpiercer.
1: The opening scene, the cold open. Showed us everybody in that chain was compensated in some way, including the dude who had to cut into the cadaver hand to get the K in the first place.
0: Something's going on and it definitely does feel like she's involved in some way.
1: Yeah. Well, there's not much left except for the scene with... there's the there's the scene in the tale with with the Josie and Leighton, and then there's also, obviously, <laughs> what happens in Nikki's room. I had thought in previous episodes of this podcast that when Nikki awoke, she would just be a fountain of information. I don't know if that fountain is, is going to get a chance to come to life. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows if that guy is going to take her somewhere. I mean, she seems like she's still in shock, and given the fact that we know that the suspension drug is just a very potent drug K <laughs> it feels like it's going to take her a while to really come to all her senses and the fact that she's put in distress with this kind of goon that's come after her um, set on by LJ or whatever is I, not I approve of that talk. usage of
1: the word goon yeah <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: it's just she's not going to it seems like if there was any situation that was going to make her talk this is not it <laughs> I don't know what that guy is going to do. So it just feels like it's just not going to be something that's going to make her want to talk. And did you think, because he asked her, like, do you know who I am or do you remember who I am? And I mean, she's just looking, look at Fright. But do you think that she does remember who he is?
1: I think what he said was probably right, that there's enough there consciously for her to know what she's involved in and that getting a visit from a guy who clubs people to death in a black suit. <laughs> she knows what his role is in her life, given the way it was set up before she went in the drawers. So she may not remember his face, but like he said, he she knows who he is. The question mark that that you just gave me that i i assumed he was just gonna use his club on her but maybe kidnapping is the idea here he just turned out the light that's all we saw and he got rid of the nurse and the um and the guard so kidnapping is is probably on the table everyone else was at fight night so he could move her without being too conspicuous I like that idea. Someone might want to talk to her, and that someone, since he only answers to LJ, would be her.
0: That definitely would make sense. I think the fact that he didn't kill her is...
1: Kill her on screen anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, killed her on screen. It just makes me want to know what Nikki knows even more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because it's also just like the Melanie thing of her being like, hey, watch out what Melanie does. It's like, oh, Nikki and Nikki and that people have tried to get to her and it hasn't happened and she hasn't talked at all. So, oh, what does she know? I just want to know. Nikki knows something
1: that the first class people are scared about and they they were in the right position to get her framed.
0: But also, not just only the first class, because the fact that Melanie stopped Layden until from questioning her, that was very suspect too.
1: Good point. Exactly. So Melanie seemed legitimately surprised to find out that the doctor was the source of the K, but the way that she was instantly like, uh, you can't question Nikki, basically until I talk to her first, that does raise some red flags about her role in the whole thing.
0: Yeah. And if we're going down that line of theoretical thinking, it it seems like maybe the goon, it could be Melanie's too.
1: (laughs) Nice. Nice thought. So, so far, most of my predictions have been wrong, completely wrong. I'm like that. You ever watch like Monday Night Football or something and they keep track of their predictions? I'm like, (laughs) I'm like that guy that all of his are like terrible. They, They just never work out. But I still need to make predictions for... Next week, I think the K that he gave Josie, I think that's still medicine, basically like painkiller type medicine for uh, the one armed lady in the tail. I don't know what else, what other use it would be back there, except maybe currency for Josie.
0: If we're tying it back to the episode title access, it could give her some sort of access since we know people want that drug and if she has it maybe she can kind of use it to get some sort of information or help or whatever it's kind of collateral for her to get something
1: yeah you're right and the idea of access is power and the way that the episode started out with his you know his first main squeeze accepting the ring as currency in the first scene it does seem to make sense that this would be Him giving it to his current squeeze would be, you know, a form of currency giving back to her. You're right. I think it is going to be afford her some kind of access rather than just drugs for the one-armed lady.
0: Yeah, I feel like the one-armed lady is like (laughs) toast (laughs) already.
1: She's had a bad go. Yeah, that's... (laughs) yeah. Somehow I think the repairs to the train are basically going to end up okay. It may not happen next episode, but like they said in this one, oh, the crack is already taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it's going to be fixed. It may even get worse before it gets better to kind of string along this idea of uncoupling the tail being a reality, you know, or being necessary. So I bet you things... Get worse next week.
0: Yeah, I feel like the train right now is itself a character that is kind of unfolding as the as the series goes, and I feel like right now it's more about the characters in the sense of you know this murder and uh, the world building and all that, and there's always just a little bit of like. They show us about the, the train is just, like, kind of on its last legs in some way. Yeah. And I feel like that is just going to keep happening, or that's at least my prediction, until maybe the end. And then that's when it's going to, like, really come into play as a major character of, like, the train being something's got to give, whether it's a tailies or whatever. So, um I feel like that's just always that's just going to be normal in the in the next few episodes of like something else is wrong with Snowpiercer. Good old, you know, good old Snowpiercer has something to fix or something is leaking or whatever. It feels like it's just a a thing that happens in these episodes right now. Well,
1: so far I'm enjoying the show. I have read fairly middling reviews of the show, but I think the theme for those reviews is that those reviewers came to this show expecting like a translation of Bong Joon Ho's movie to TV form, and they didn't get it. However, I did not come to the show wanting that. I came to the show just wanting this high concept idea of the train saving humanity, constantly running because of the frozen earth. I'm fine with that. Were you at all disappointed that this is not clearly just Bong Joon-ho's movie just spread out over 10 episodes?
0: I think that would be really boring. And I think in a movie setting, it obviously worked really well. The movie is amazing. I I really enjoyed it. The pace. The pace
1: would be not something you could keep up on TV.
0: That was something that, you know, we talked about in the first episode of I was really interested to see how they were going to do that since the movie is so fast paced And in a show, yes, you got to have a little bit of a tempo, but it would get really repetitive really quick, even in that first episode, to just be so gung-ho and like, um, you can't do what a movie does in that sense of the rapid pace. To that end, I think that if you're expecting Bong Joon-ho's movie to just be spread across 10 episodes, I think you're coming in with the wrong mindset and you're probably not going to like this show. And you probably stopped watching it already. (laughs) So, um... I I think when things get adapted from either movies or books, you have to let it go a little. Like, you have to let the source material go, or you're never going to give the show, like, a a good chance to let it be its own thing. Like, yes, we can dissect whether it's going to be a good show overall, like, when we finish. But if you're just holding on to the idea of, like, this is not the movie, like, you're never going to let it run its own course.
1: I think fans of The Last Ship... Are probably going to find some kinship with this show. The premise is almost the same, right? This is the last train. That was the last ship, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Navy people, a lot of the show, a lot of that show's fans were people of former Navy. And so maybe they won't cross over. But I think people that just enjoy that concept of humanity's last hope and it being centered around this vehicle, I think they'll ignore the middling reviews and and they'll find, because The Last Ship didn't exactly get terrific reviews, but it stayed on for five seasons, you know? So I think those people are going to be happy with this show.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I really loved about the film... Was the world, you know, the apocalyptic snow piercer, like a setting that we normally don't see. You know, it's not just like a Mad Max kind of thing that we've seen a lot of, of like, you know, the deteriorated cities or whatever. This is like a unique setting for humanity's last leg. So, that in itself, like just that little backdrop is so interesting. And so, I love the fact that they're able to, I feel like. This show is just kind of the before the movie kind of thing. Like we see how the world was functioning and then all shit just goes (laughs) loose, you know, in the movie of like, we're done with this, you know, and the tailies just like go full throttle to the front. I like that we're getting to explore how it actually is, you know, like how would this snowpiercer actually function day to day and how was it for these people, you know, to live this way? So for me, that's really interesting. And I like that they're exploring that, but that's my two cents. I don't know. We're, we're still going through these episodes, so right. I guess we'll see at the end of the first season. But they're they're signed on for two, so yeah. we're, we're definitely getting 20.
1: Yeah, well, so far, so good for me. This is the kind of show that I, I enjoy, and I look forward to talking about episode five. No, not five. I look forward to talking about episode <laughs> four with you next week.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm excited.
1: All right. So this has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse.
0: And this is Kat with Shuffle Online.
1: And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production.
0: Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse!